Well, 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 welcome to another Between Sundays. My name is Tyler, and I am so pleased that you're here with us. So pleased, in fact, that we're stealing the limelight of the party by doing backflips. Today, we'll be talking about Ishmael, Hagar, Sarah, and Abraham, and wondering about Elroy. Does God see you? Tim Ayers is here, and we'll do a deep dive into last week's sermon and play another round of Ask Tim Anything. But before we do that, let me welcome our co-hosts, fresh off a tour from the wilderness and the shade of a bush, Marin, and guest host, Emily O'Connor. Hey, were you in the shade of a bush, Marin, recently? Um... The wilderness and a bush. Yeah. Tyler, I really feel like you need to start like preparing us for these intros. No way. They it's me it's better. It's, every week. I write these yeah. intros after I listen to the sermon <laughs> and I try to pull things that the speakers say and context not needed. I am so caught off guard. Is right it now. not needed though? No, it's not. It's not needed. <laughs> Guys, and Tim's here as well. Welcome, Tim. Hey. Thanks for coming back. Yeah, I was happy to. From the wilderness. Your episode, last time you were with us, is... Our most listened to episode, other huh. than Dave and Penny sabbatical, which was a special New Year's episode. Yours is the most listened to. So, thanks for being here. Well, I'm glad to be here. I I have no idea why people would want to listen to me, but that's <laughs> probably the weather girl story. That yeah. that was the uh, the hit. <laughs> but Emily O'Connor, we are calling you Pod Prod for Pod Prodigy Prodigy. Yes, and Pod Producer. I'm a self-proclaimed podcast Pod Prodigy. Prod. Yeah, so welcome. Thank you. Who are you? Actually, I, let me explain why you're here. Mm-hmm. Barry, as you notice, listeners, is not here today. He's got, we're actually recording this in the middle of a, of a work day. So um, he's, he's, in, he's in meetings and doing, doing stuff that Barry does for his job. So he couldn't join us. So Emily's here. So yeah, tell us a little bit about who you are. Yeah, and I, I really don't think you're going to notice a difference because I know just as much about the Bible as Barry does. Yeah. And we've had all the same life experiences. Can That's you do the not nerd a question. Voice? Oh, hello. Oh, man, this is going to be great. No difference, you guys. <laughs> All right. So t- what, tell us a little bit about you. What do the listeners yeah. need to know? Um, so I am a ministry intern at uh-huh. Grace, which means I raised support over the summer to work on the communications team from September to May of 2018. What's your favorite part about raising support? Oh, you know, there were so many good parts of it. Um, You don't have to answer that. That's okay. Yeah. As an introvert, it was just a lovely experience of having many meetings and having to ask people to support me monetarily. Great. Um, But honestly, like, it's very cool to know that I have a team of people um, who are supporting me throughout this whole thing. So yeah. I get to correspond with them and build relationships with them and um, send out like a monthly newsletter. So it's been a cool experience. Definitely a learning Good. and growing experience. Well, I got to tell you, if it wasn't for Emily, the pod prod, we, <laughs> this, this podcast would simply not exist. The only reason this thing gets published at all is because Emily works on it. She listens to us ramble for an hour or more or less and then edits it and publishes it and promotes it. And so it would not be a thing if Emily was not here. So she, you get all the credit. Oh, thank you. All the credit <laughs> and all the blame you. when it goes wrong. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. When it goes wrong, it's my fault. Everybody. Yeah. <laughs> but it's really fun. I've absolutely loved it. Good. Well, 
guys, we got a great episode ahead. Um, we're, we're still in our series uh, called out where we're talking about Abraham and the lineage of him, and the uh, promises God's made to him. But this weekend, uh, Tim talked about uh, Hagar and Ishmael. Ishmael? Ish- Ishmael. Ishmael. Yeah. yeah, well, Ishmael. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, in Genesis 17, particularly, right? Well, yes. Well, no. 16 through 21. 16, it's divided 16 and then 21. He, right. He only shows up named as being circumcised in the middle there. Yeah. Okay. So before we do that, guys, this is kind of a melancholy uh, between Sundays. Like I said, we are recording this in the middle of a work day and we just actually left a staff meeting. It's Tuesday. Uh, I'm not sure this will probably get published on a Wednesday, but uh, we just left a staff meeting where uh, if you've been paying attention to things that have been happening happening at Grace uh, for the last couple months, we've been talking a lot about uh, the future of Grace and what that means um, for our structures and all that all that stuff that is just kind of boring to hear about, but important. And we've been talking a lot about that and some of the consequences of that. And um, we've talked a lot about our financial situation at Grace Church. And today we heard, and last week uh, was really a tough week for staff because a lot of staff lives have been impacted through uh, reassignments uh, into this new structure that you will hear much more about in the, in the coming weeks. Um, but lives have been impacted. Our friends, um, some some of our dearest friends and colleagues, um, have lost their jobs um, because of this this uh, season that we're in right now. And so, it's a melancholy between Sundays. And I just wanted to acknowledge that elephant in the room. Dave spoke about it last week a little bit, so I feel comfortable just touching on it. Um, I don't. I don't even know enough specifics to get into it, but this podcast isn't anything if it's not authentic. And so I just wanted to toss that out there, see how you guys are feeling. Um, and I think as we get into talking about the sermon that we'll, we, we will see that it was a very poignant, uh, you know, what's that you trying to be all serious and then you no, drop it's very poignant. Po- it's a very, uh, it's a very poignant, uh, Thank connection. You. So, uh, yeah. How are you guys feeling? Um, sad and really exhausted just exhausted it's it's been a a long week for all of us on staff here and um i think by this point in the process mm-hmm. a lot of us are just tired yeah. you know so physically i just feel tired um but it's hard um we do know the names of the people who won't be serving on staff mm-hmm. uh anymore and so as i'm um having interactions with them throughout today just telling them how much they'll be missed and not even like in like a hallmark kind of a way, like no, we'll feel it. Oh my goodness. I talked to one of them this morning, uh, right when I got to work and I said, I just want you to know, um, I couldn't sleep one night over the weekend and it was your name that was in my mind. Like yeah. you're one of the most creative people that we have. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how we're going to do what we do mm-hmm. without you. And I just wanted you to know that that's how much you're going to be missed. It's causing yeah. me anxiety. I can't even sleep. I don't know what we're going to do without you. Yeah. Uh, over the course of about two weeks, I lost nine pounds and I was eating fine. I wasn't like no, you were starving not myself. Fine. Well, I was, I came into I was eating his poorly, but I wasn't eating less. And he had a Snickers on his desk and goes, this is my lunch. Well, like, that's Sir. because of the whole cash budget. We've been over this. The whole cash budget thing really has thrown me for a loop. We're in the mm-hmm. second half of the first month and I'm out of envelopes, but uh, that was more for that. But I've been eating normal, but I just, I don't know. Like yeah. it's, it's taken its toll for sure on, on, on all of us. Um, Emily, how are you feeling? 
Um, it's been kind of a weird experience as an intern, especially. Yeah. So I'm technically not employed through Grace because I am support raised. And for a while leading up to this, it's kind of felt like I've been on the outside looking in um, of everybody just wondering and um, not knowing exactly what's going to happen, not knowing exactly who's going to be here. But now as we do know, it it does feel, um, I do feel the impact a lot more. And as messy as it has been and as unfortunate as it has been, it has also been an incredible learning experience mm-hmm. to be here at this time, to see the leadership walk through this, to see how people handle it, to see how an organization grows and processes and um, transitions into this next phase. So, um, yeah, it has been an incredible learning experience that I hope to bring with, with me wherever yeah. I end up next. So, so the bottom line is Grace Church is trying to get it right. And into this next era of Grace Church, we're trying to get it right. And so all of us, all of our prayers right now are just like, uh, God, you, you need to get the, like, you need to help us understand that we're getting this right and be with the people who have been the most impacted. Cause we're all impacted, right? Like the three of us are sitting here, but we're all, we're all deeply impacted by, um, what's transpired and what will transpire. Um, some, some people have been impacted for the better, you know, and their lives, um, mm-hmm. are different, but in ways that they weren't expecting, but they're going to, they're going to have great opportunities ahead of them. And so all our prayers are like, I pray that everybody has great opportunities ahead of them, whether they're going to be serving on staff here or not. And so we're trying to get it right. Um, and there is, a, there is a sense of, of hope for the future of grace church for sure. Like this, the structure that we're, we're adopting and moving into, um, is the right thing. I, I truly believe that the strategy yeah. is, is there and it, it's, mm-hmm. it's smart and it's wise. Um, but right now we're just, we're kind of still mourning and grieving um, our staff, friends and colleagues. So I wanted to acknowledge that before we don't dive into uh, what's going on in our lives and uh, the sermon. So thanks for, thanks for bearing with us for, through that. Uh, other than that, guys, what, what's happening in your lives? What is going on? Well, we had a fun weekend. That's right. We hung, we hung out on Friday. <laughs> yeah. It was the end of a tough week. Yeah. The pod peeps. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Barry, Marin, uh, Emily, and their loved ones joined uh, Lauren and I at, at our home. We played some games, enjoyed refreshments. Yeah. Mario Kart. Sometimes we wore the refreshments. Oh, I spilled, I spilled, I spilled a beverage on, on Emily. <laughs> Launched a beverage we were, into my lap. We were playing this fun. game. It's called Secret Hitler. Oh. Great game. No. Great party game. Why? I, I wasn't crazy about that game. Oh, Marin. Why? It was a little confusing. It was. Well, and, it's like mafia, but you, with you, Hitler. <laughs> Secret exactly. Hitler. It's called I don't know Secret that you Hitler. Want to talk about you've got Tim. You're not approving. You're not into no, it. Well, no. Are you a game guy? No, I'm absolutely not a game guy. Um, and that's I'm not either. No, I'm, I'm I not. was brought up in a home that was it was really frowned on to waste your time mm. with like I wasn't allowed. We weren't allowed to have cards in the house. Wow. And was it religious stuff or, or just Oh, no, it was religious. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was religious. For my but, grandma, it was religious. Games of chance. You yeah, couldn't play a well, game of chance. We were not allowed gambling. to. We had to, 
remember that we were going to have to make an account for every moment of our life. And you oh, can't, yeah. You can't play Clue as a kid for very long and not think, oh, no, I'm going to have to talk to Jesus about this. <laughs> That's a cloud and it's, hanging and, over your head. Whoops. And really, all of that sort of thing, uh, I was brought up in a house where you couldn't go to movies. Mm-hmm. And so I can't, I still can't, you know, when people talk about like watching movies, even at home, I find it to be such a waste of time. Really like, still today. Oh yeah. It's really, really hard for me to watch a movie. My wife will tell you, I probably haven't been in a movie theater more than 10 times in our 43 years oh, of marriage because I just, I can't bring myself to, to do it. It just seems like I've got other, th- absolutely a terror. I wish I could, but yeah. I, I can't. Yeah, so they um, huh. were, were playing this game that made zero sense to me. A lot of times I just nod and I try to go along with, you know, the other gamers in the room or I right. look to my husband to like kind of hold my hand through the game because I really don't get games very well. That surprises I just don't me. don't get them. I'm not a game person. But your wife had the coolest like playlist going on in the background. Oh, so you noticed so the music. So that was like my saving grace. I was like, oh, Jed, it's Tom Petty. Did Wait, you hear that? How do you, how, why do you, why didn't you think I had that playlist? I'm pretty sure it was your wife. It was, but I don't know why you were, why you were assuming that um, it wasn't because me. Because it was cool. Uh, it was cool, cool, definitely. I don't know where it came from, but it was definitely cool. Yeah. So you were into the music, not That's the it. games. No, I completely focused only on the music the entire time. Well, no wonder you lost Secret Hitler. So, so what happened is I lost, or I was wrong about who Hitler was or something. The, the point of the game is to- How, like, can, how can you be wrong <laughs> about who It's secret, Hitler? man. Yeah. It's secret. The oh, point, you mean in the game. It wasn't- yeah, yeah, yeah. You're trying yeah. to it, kill right. Hitler in the game. Yeah, you're so trying to identify fun. who um, the fascists <laughs> and Nazis are and uh, who Hitler is, but they're lying with each other and they're teaming up against the liberals and the liberals are the good guys and the fascists are the bad guys and my wife was Hitler and, and my husband was Hitler she, yeah she yeah, was in rounds a couple rounds and there yeah. were some Hitlers yeah. that, that yeah, snuck by right. me and I missed it and I was upset and I cleared the <laughs> cleared the counter I was just like ah! and took my arms just swept across the counter and I knocked the top of the board game into Emily's face and spilled her <laughs> yeah. her refreshments all over her. <laughs> it was self. a fun time. Sorry, Emily. I've apologized like 20 times. I know, but I'm just going to keep it hanging over your head because it's kind of fun. But it was fun. It was a good it night, right? It was a very good yeah. night. It after, was really fun. After a tough week. To Mario Kart next time. Okay, so mm-hmm. we did Mario Kart as well. We've talked about this on the pod before. Um, not, I'm not, you guys were great. <laughs> Lauren is for real. Lauren's good, right? She's yeah. a champion at Mario Kart. Yeah. I was not great. I was always dead last. Yeah. And but Tim, you still enjoyed it more than Secret Hitler. <laughs> Absolutely. No. Oh, yes. man. Tim, we know where you were this weekend, but uh, what's, what's been going on in your life uh, recently? What, any, mean, any cool stories? Anything nice happened to you? Yeah. I'm thinking or talking to Bethany Robinson. Oh yeah, she used to play bass at Grace Church, right? And Jeff McLaughlin, drummer. Yeah, and maybe Tom Doherty, guitarist. Because are you starting a band? Maybe. Wow! Oh my goodness! We're gonna get together. Breaking news! We're gonna get together soon. Jam says. Oh, I just want to be a groupie. And we're gonna. And I've got about. We want to. We want to see if it works. For to do my tunes yes. with an acoustic guitar, string bass, drums, and maybe Tom playing. I don't know whether Tom's in, but he's been really pushing it. 
And Sounds I, like he's I, in. I, uh, well, I don't know. He he doesn't need to play with us. It might. Can I just hang out? <laughs> I just want to hang out. So yeah. we're talking about it so we can do house house shows. Yeah. Oh my Those are goodness. So fun. And guys, this I, is like, guys, this is, awesome. is like uh, uh, this is so Infant far in stages. Well, it's, I'd call it pre-zygote. How's that? <laughs> pre-zygote stages. And, um, but, uh, but those are the people to play with. I love watching those folks play. Well, they're dear friends, and they're people that, I'm just be honest, my wife and I have been able to have influence over them as young people, yeah. younger people, and speak into their lives at times unrelated to music, and yet they're all just amazing musicians. Mm-hmm. And so, and we can do it in our living room. That's the other thing we can do it oh, without wow. a lot of just string bass, a snare, and maybe a kick drum, and just see how it works. Because I've got a lot of material. Do you write of, songs still? Um, I haven't been writing. I write with Tom. Tom yeah, and I, yeah, Tom and I write together. But he brings the music, and I yeah. give him. I work on lyrics with him. But um, I haven't been writing for a while. But I haven't had any reason. Mm-hmm. When I was in. Uh, that band generica i was because i was the only guitar player singer in that band i was writing like a song a week that was worth playing oh wow. and so i'm and it just i'm kind of old to be writing songs but i i'm feeling like it i need that part of my life back you got something to say i don't know if i have anything to say but i I think it's better to give myself an opportunity rather yeah. than to worry about it because I get to express myself. That's not sure. an issue. Mm-hmm. And I get to express myself about important things. Mm-hmm. But maybe sometimes there are things that are not quite so important that I can express about too. Is it yes. like a release for you? Um, it's How do you view playing music like that? Well, I play music all the time because I play Irish traditional jigs and reels on the guitar and it's a very but i it's a style that i don't know anybody that plays like that and i'm I'm gonna be really honest about it here that when you hear um john schofield you know it's john schofield yeah and when you hear you you know what i'm saying it's like if steve gadd is drumming you know that's steve gadd for sure and oddly when i play you know it's me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And because and of the very specific Yeah, I play I play uh, I hold the pick and I play off my finger with the pick at the same time and Tom Doherty who is really my musical hero, he can't even figure out how I do it. I don't know how it happened. That is awesome. But what what happened was when I was trying to learn to play everything on the on the the Layla album I figured out that Clapton was getting the harmonics off with the side of his finger while uh-huh. pick. and so then I just and then when I learned to play jigs and reels, I found out that that is the way to to play mm. to get it to sound when you hammer off with that thing. It sounds like a bagpipe, and so now it's moved over into everything I do. And so I think I have a style that's actually legitimately unique. Unique. Yeah, that I is hate awesome. This, uh, because I've heard. Thousands of guitar players and nobody <laughs> plays like I do. Now it doesn't mean it's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just, it's just not the same. Yeah, it's interesting to me that all bad guitar players sound alike to me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, that is they, right. They, they do. All bad lead guitar players sound exactly the same to me. Yeah. Okay. And no, that's true. And I don't know that much about guitar, but <laughs> most music sounds the same because everybody's using the same style. Right, and I play in open tunings. Oh, okay. And so my voicings are. Mm-hmm. 
I can do, I can play. I just, I mean, this is going to sound really silly too, but I just learned to play uh, two songs that one is that old Christian song, He's Everything to Me, where I learned to play it. Where you, in, those, in a tuning where the voicings are just quite beautiful and strange, but you play the melody and the chords at the same time. Mm. And so I can sing it with it, and I've got a melody doubled, or I can just play it. And I learned to play that song. Um, it's fun. Oh, you're going to laugh at me. <laughs> I want to make it with you by bread. Bread. My mom. You know bread? bread? Oh, yeah. So funny story about bread. <laughs> My mom yeah. grew up listening Emily. to bread. And... For one Mother's Day, I don't remember how old I was, and me and my older sister dressed up as bread. What? And did like Wait. a rendition of a song. Actual bread mean, or the you band? Mean like, a, like the band bread. Like a wheat loaf? <laughs> yeah, we dressed up as a loaf of bread. <laughs> no, no, we. I don't remember. We had like flannels and jeans and I mean. Wow. Nice. Holy cow. So, yeah, weird. I have a connection with bread, sounds like, I guess. Sounds like you guys had a great time growing up. Yeah, it was a great time in our household. <laughs> But anyway, I learned to play that song. That's awesome. So the melody and the chords and the voicings because of the tuning. And I, I mean, I don't play it for anything. I would never play it out anywhere, but it, it's an exercise. Mm-hmm. So, but the other thing with, the, with possibly with Bethany and Jeff and Tom would be, if and Tom is, he might not want to do that. But Why? I think he would. Well, he's going to, I hope he doesn't hear this. But. <laughs> no, he doesn't listen. I'm pretty sure. Uh, there was a time where you played at Grace, right? Yes. What? At what point were you like, that is no longer for me? Well, the time is, uh, I can give you the day, the day we opened the new auditorium, because that's when they said you couldn't have an amp on stage. Okay. And um, I use a, a Fender Princeton that's been really heated up, and I like to stand right next to it. Mm-hmm. And use the amp for part of what my sound is, and they that said was I a deal breaker. And they said I couldn't have an amp on stage, and so I was like, you know, there's plenty of guitar players, and it's like I don't want to learn how to do this thing. Yeah, and it's uh, I don't I don't need to do this. So that's well, if the project because Tom records music as well. If the project ever gets recorded, let's bring all of you guys in here. Maybe do a little. Uh, Could you like a tiny desk concert? Like, yeah, on NPR. Like unplugged? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That would be nice. I almost brought my guitar in. Oh, Ooh, come on. Next time. Okay. It's such I'm, a tease to just hear you talk about music and then I never get to hear you play music. Well, that's, I can't help that. <laughs> yes, you can. You, you, know, you could let me be a groupie at your house show. All you have to do is drop by. I'm, pract- I'm playing all the time. That's awesome. So that's what you do instead of watch movies and play games. I do. I can, yeah, I do. I'm sure my wife, my wife is so wonderful, but... You know, I have a limited repertoire. I don't know, like, I probably know 25 jigs and reels, and most of them are played in together, so you put three of them together to make a song. And mm-hmm. She's been listening to those songs since 1974. That's so cool. she's into it as well. Oh, my gosh, yeah. She's much, much more, um, but she's a better musician than I. Yeah. I mean, her. she's really rhythmic and soulful. and That's awesome. Yeah, no, she's cool. Hmm. Uh, what else? What's going on? So this weekend, the school that my kids go to, they had their social studies fair. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
Desi got the country of Panama. What happens at a social studies fair? So it's like a science fair where you'll have... Poster boards? Big poster boards, trifold poster boards, and, you know, maps and stats and information. Mm-hmm. But it's more fun than the science fair because you get to eat stuff. You get to eat lots of stuff. Yeah. So typically, every social studies fair we've been a part of up to this point was like, you know, you walk past, you know... Mexico booth and you get like chips and salsa. <laughs> that's what people do. <laughs> that's, that's what that they sounds did. great. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> sounds like something I would do when I was that age. Totally. But this school, which I think is kind of cool, they gave the kids the option of like expressing themselves artistically through either poetry, dance, or music. And so my daughter, maybe three weeks ago, was like, I'm going to play the ukulele for mm-hmm. Panama I don't really see the connection but she plays my daughter plays the ukulele like nobody and like she's, she's 12 yeah she's super super good at it cool she wanted to write an original song about Panama yeah which I don't oh, know man not good I mean I had to I had to really work with her because it was like two days before the thing the song told me nothing about Panama uh-huh. like I think she was she was trying to be funny you know but like not giving the information about the actual country. <laughs> She's the Not only insider Desi. about Panama. <laughs> yeah, and she didn't do a trifold board or anything like that, so she didn't have, like, a booth. I don't know. I just was like, of all the kids in the world, like, why can't you just let me get you some chips and salsa? Why can't yeah. I just be like well, every other parent? Why do we have to go this route? This is clearly the more difficult route. to just stand in front of her booth and play it? She on knew repeat? that she'd be playing in front of the entire school, which like was over another... Like, over and over and over, because the fair's probably... Two hours? Uh, yeah, it was about and two hours long. And people just browse? Yeah, so, but it was different. So a lot of kids did choose to do music, and there, there was one auditorium that was like for the musical component, but they were doing like national anthems <laughs> of the country that they researched. They That's were the not writing original music. It just was absolutely nerve-wracking. It's, nerve-wracking. it's one of those moments as a parent where you're just biting your nails. Yeah. You're like, this could be the day that kids make fun of her for for the next five years Remember or worship the ground she walks on exactly right. it yeah. could go either way she's gonna come out of this thing either like the laughing stock of the school or the coolest person that ever lived so thankfully it was very well received but here's a problem i have she's Uh-oh. playing the ukulele right and this school has the worst sound system of any school i've ever ever been to i've really? been to schools in chicago that have a better sound system than this school so she's playing her ukulele and she's singing in front of like one little microphone off in the mm-hmm. distance and then the person working sound comes and gives her um a wireless mic in the mm-hmm. middle of you know you do play the ukulele with two hands <laughs> yeah well, <laughs> he just handed her, it to her <laughs> her a wireless mic and she's like looking at it like and finally she just puts it down on her music stand and keeps playing and singing but now the microphone is like blocking the words that she needs Uh oh so i'm so proud of her like a pro you we've both been there yeah definitely been there but we're adults she's 12 and she like shifts the microphone over and just she doesn't even skip a beat well she probably handled it way better than i did she was so on i was so so proud of her so yeah the room like erupted into applause when she was finished 12 year old's dream Uh, rich dundor he's a musician at grace incredible musician and he came up to me man that's that was great she's so creative you know all that nervousness for nothing thank you lord yeah 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 yeah. you're good well (laughs) what what was the conversation like on the way home 
It was, if you had it to do over, would you write the original song or would you just let me buy the chips and the salsa? And, and she's say? like, oh, chips and salsa. She did. Oh. She regrets it. Oh, she regrets it. Too much emotional stress. It was. Yeah. It was. So I'm in the grocery store and the aisles are pretty narrow. They're like just big enough to where two carts can kind of barely fit side by side uh, going either way. And I get behind this couple who is going super slow or they're stopped or whatever. And I say, excuse me, excuse me. Like I say, excuse me four times. Excuse me, excuse me. They're not paying me any attention. So I kind of maneuver out into the, the opposite side of the, the lane. And at the exact moment I'm doing that, the woman steps in front of my cart and I slam into her. Because I say excuse me four times. I'm not just like easing my way out. I'm like, and oh, like so you muscled your way out? Yeah, I'm muscling my way out. Upset that you had to say excuse me four times. Well, I was I, I was like, why are you ignoring me? I'm clearly <laughs> saying excuse me to you. And so she steps out, I hit her with the cart, and she just looks at me and I'm like, Oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Doesn't acknowledge that I'm saying I'm sorry. And I'm like, geez, I don't know, like Sorry, I don't know. I don't know Please how to get... Please tell me like she has a hearing aid. So I get past them <laughs> and I'm like down at the, ed- the end of the aisle and I look back and they're doing sign language to each other. Yep. yep, there it is. And I'm like, oh, it all snaps into focus. Yeah. Yeah. It was complete coincidence and accident, but does that make me the jerk or what, what should I have done? Because I hit her. Well, now in the future, you will you will consider that when someone doesn't hear you and they're a complete stranger in a public <laughs> setting, now you might think, oh, maybe there's something going yeah. on that I don't know about. They're probably not just blatantly ignoring you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was just a, that was a really unfortunate situation. Part of me is like, that's not my fault. I mean, it is your fault, like for slamming into her. But she stepped out in front of me. Clearly, she did not hear you. <laughs> I know. I don't know. I just felt like a jerk. You and... strike me as the kind that always had to learn things the hard way. Is well, this yeah, true? that's definitely sure, true. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that'll probably just keep happening. So, sheesh. Just keep telling us your stories. Yeah. We will all learn through you. That was an unfortunate situation. It was. It was. It was bad news, and I felt bad, but I'm glad that you guys are here to confirm that <laughs> I am the jerk. All right, let's turn the corner. Let's turn the corner, guys, (laughs) to last weekend's message. That's why Tim's here. We talked about uh, Ishmael. Ishmael? Ishmael. Ishmael. Call me Ishmael. Ishmael. And uh, the big idea, Tim, if you don't mind just kind of summarizing for everybody who may have missed the message this past weekend or uh, just need a reminder, what what did you want people to take away and hear? I wanted them to take away that circumstances... Uh, your place in life, anything that we tend to use to um, give ourselves a importance or a, a place are ir- irrelevant to God and that everybody is equally precious to him and he is watching out for everybody. And that I don't know that the story could be about anybody who was more likely to be ignored than the people that were in the story. And mm-hmm. yet there's God in the moment. Because Ishmael wasn't a huge. There's not a lot of story about this guy, right? No, there's not in the in the Christian Bible. There is not. No. Yeah. Um, so when when I found out that we're doing 
uh, a weekend message on this. I'm like, that'll be really interesting because there's not much to go off of based on what, what I'm looking at. And so the fact that you tied it to us and um, you talked about the women in the story, you talked about the audience of the story and how God sees them. What, what was it you called him Elroy? God is, is called Elroy by Hagar. Yeah. And that is God sees me, me. Okay. Yeah. The God who sees me. It's a bit of a, an oddity in the Hebrew. It can be, he is the, is, or I have seen the God who has seen me or I, mm-hmm. I the God who, it can be, it's a, it's one of those weird constructions where it can either be subjective or objective. And so you end up not really sure, mm-hmm. um, which happens a lot in the Bible much more so in the Greek than the Hebrew, but it does happen. And so, but, but we get the point. Yeah. We get the point. Yeah. And in naming God, this seemingly worthless slave girl reminds us of a great truth. No matter the circumstances of our, what they may look like, what our circumstances may look like, God is present and he's watching and he's waiting to care for us and he sees us. So we're talking about Hagar. She was a, right? Yes. And she's a slave. She's um, given birth to Abraham's son. Yes. And it's kind of like Sarah or Sarai is mad about this and so sends Hagar away and the message is God sees her. Right, twice. Mm. Twice. It happens twice. twice. It's It's a given in the Bible. Anytime something happens more than once, we need to pay really close attention to it. Mm-hmm. Um, in this story, twice, Abraham, in the midst of all this, twice, Abraham goes to places and then claims that his wife is his sister. Yeah, what, what's up with that? Well, I mean, he's saying that she is, and their definition of beautiful has to be different than ours, but they're saying that she was so desirable or beautiful that if he was her husband... They may kill him because of her to get her. Mm-hmm. If he's her brother, then they'll, you know, want to barter with him over her, and he can protect her by not giving her up. But what happens in, particularly in the first case, and the way that they get Hagar, is that in in the Egyptian story, when he goes to Egypt, the they take her into the harem now. That's a really problematic because you know what a harem is for, mm-hmm. and God protects her in that moment. But that that was a really bad move on Abraham's part. But they end up being enriched, and part of the enrichment is that the Egyptians give them slaves and animals and all mm-hmm. this stuff. And Hagar is part of that thing. And I said in the sermon that she was probably a gift to okay. Sarah, but she's really to pay them off. The point is to pay off whatever God was bringing terrible things upon them mm. so that he would leave them alone. Cause clearly this guy has some relationship with this God. Yeah. Yeah. So mm. it's, uh, it's a very complicated story, but in, in it's just its essence. It's a, it's God never says, and that was a good thing. Yeah. Mm. Right. But he still works through it. That was something that struck me is that, I mean, we've been talking about how God blatantly told Abraham, I'm going to give you as many descendants as there are stars in the sky. God never says to him, and it will be through Sarah, 
until mm. after Ooh. until after he says your loins this is what it says your loins will produce more descendants than this so they stuff. kind of figured like oh if it's not sarah then maybe it's hagar absolutely that in mm-hmm. fact even as late as right before um isaac shows up in the scene abraham is treating Ishmael, he has him circumcised and treats him like his son. He's, mm. he's of the opinion that this is their way because they don't have any, it's, it's interesting, they don't have any any qualms against the fact that she's supposed to, that Hagar is supposed to bear children for him. It's really clinical in the in the Hebrew. It's just like, and he had sexual relations with her. It's like, it's like just a, It's there's no emotion or second thoughts or anything. It's just done because this is what you do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we get it. I mean, let's be honest. The 12 tribes of Israel come from four women, two of whom are concubines. And so it's like a given. It's one of those things where another thing that I'm really very interested in, which is when God uses givens in our world, which may or may not be a appropriate to him, but he'll work with something, a system or a belief or something like that to get his bigger truth to us. And this is just one of those cases. Mm. Um, God doesn't, he doesn't stop and go, uh, wait, 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 you know, this is not a cool thing. Or he doesn't send a prophet and say, oh, no, don't do this. Or mm-hmm. like that. He just lets it happen. And mm-hmm. then he works with it. And, mm-hmm. um, and he shows us that he's actually watching out for Hagar. And that's the bigger issue. The bigger issue that he's, is that he's watching out for Hagar, somebody nobody would expect him to be watching out for. Hmm. Yeah. It reminded me of um, Psalm 23. Both of the times that he came to her, it's just that thought came to my head that like, um, you know, leading beside quiet waters and stillness and grass and I don't know hmm. that came to hmm. mind yeah the, the miracle well where mm-hmm. there's no water right and then he's like well he opened her eyes and there was water right there right some some commentators think there was water there and she was so distraught that she didn't see it mm. and others say that though I mean we don't know it just says that she didn't see it and then God says look there it is mm-hmm. we don't know but we can tell from the text that she was brought to a point of desperation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, there's a whole bunch of cool language stuff going on in that story too. That I, in, It's like it says, when it says in the NLT, it says that she went about a hundred yards away because she didn't want to hear the boy crying. Mm-hmm. And actually in the Hebrew, it says she went as far as an arrow flies. And then what does it say he becomes? An archer. An archer, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's like all this cool stuff going on. It's a really beautifully written Yeah, passage. that's cool. That's like yeah. something you would see in like a long drawn out mm-hmm. like television show. Like they, <laughs> you know, like at the first episode they talk about. Oh, right. Like a series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it all comes full circle. Yeah, and at the end he's an archer. That's and you're like, oh, that's what that meant. It was like prophecy. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> if you wasted your time watching TV, that's the kind of thing. Yeah, that's, that's, oh, yeah. You're really missing out. Too. <laughs> yeah. uh, you made a distinction, and I, I'm wondering why. Um, you said something about how Ishmael is the father, or is not the father of Ab- Arabs. Right. Why did you point that out? Why did you feel like that was important to include? Because there's a notion in Christendom that Abraham having uh, a child with Hagar 
is Sarah and Abraham stepping outside of trusting God and that the child that they have has become trouble for the whole world, Mm. the Arabs. And there's, I mean, people will go on and on and preach on that and it's just not true. And I mean, I, I originally put in the app all the reasons that that's not true, but apparently <laughs> they took them out of the app. So, oh, they uh, did? Yeah, I think oh, so. That, Somebody I told me it wasn't fault. there. But the point Oops. is that um, we cannot use this passage to say, and see, this is why the Arabs are such a pain in the neck to everybody, because they're the son of Ishmael. The Arabs claimed... Ishmael as their father in the 8th century. I think it's the 8th century. It was post the Islamization. And if you read the Quranic versions, and it's actually in the Hadiths, but if you read the, the narrative of Ishmael in Muslim thinking, he is the Isaac. And so he's the main character. Okay. They, they deny the Isaacness of everything and everything goes to Ishmael. Well, when the Arabs all became Muslims, they tried, and the Quran was written in Arabic, and so it's like they're trying to claim a superiority of in all the tribes of early Islam, and so they built a false narrative that they could. They tried to, they, and they'll tell you that they can find this gene, uh, genealogy back mm-hmm. to Ishmael, but it's not true, and there's mm. no genetic, archaeological, historical anything connection to the tribes that come out of Ishmael and to the people we call Arabs now. And so Christians bought into that when Arabs started to be a problem. Hmm. And so we can point to the story, and rather than seeing it as God watching out for some for a woman who is the least of these, yeah. it becomes a story about the creation of the problem that the world wouldn't have had if they'd not done that. Hmm. Okay. And so it becomes a, an, because for him to have a child with her in their world would not have been going outside of what God wanted. Hmm. It was normal. They would have never thought of it that right. way. There'd been no way for them to think about it that way. And um, so I think, you know, you'll find all this stuff online where it shows that they're connected, but... Yeah, yeah, that's my question. How far do you have to dig? Because if you just, like, Google who is Ishmael, everyone wants you to think right away that he's, you know, um, a patriarch of Islam. He is a patriarch of Islam because the story They've made it that way. They've made it into that. They have a very mm-hmm. different narrative. Now, he, he is a patriarch of Islam. The question is whether the story's true. Does that make sense? Right, their narrative. Yeah, that they developed. Their over. narrative. That the teachings of Muhammad are that Ishmael went to the mountaintop and was to be killed as a sacrifice by his father Abraham, and that he went willingly and said, "Do this to me, Father. I know." You. And and that he and his father went. They went to Mecca together, and they built that building that they go to the Hajj and they circle around it and they throw the rocks at it. Interesting. It's all about Ishmael. And so if you're going to, it's like, if you're going to create a relationship, the word Arab means wanderer, Uh nomad, nomad. Well, Ishmael's in the Bible story, we see them being nomadic or traders who move back and forth because they're the ones who take, um, Joseph into slavery in Egypt and it's Ishmaelites. And so they make this connection between them being nomadic. Sure. 
But there's the, all the sons of Ishmael that are listed in the Bible. We never hear of any of them again. And they lived in Egypt. They lived up in the northeastern part of Egypt, and they just disappear. And it's almost 2,000 years of difference in time. There's just, they're not even genetically. They're both Semitic. They would both be Semitic, but Semitic is huge. Hmm. And so, like, genetically, there's just, just a slight trace occasionally. When I was in seminary, the guy that was my prayer partner my freshman year was a Palestinian Arab Christian. And he kept saying, you know, a third of the Arabs are Christian. Hmm. Really? And yet I come here and he says, I come to America and everybody's talking about how we're the sons of Ishmael mm -hmm. and that we're a problem in the world. We're wild donkeys and we're always mm -hmm. fighting with each other. Well, no, this is a very, very recent kind hmm. of thing. And, and so... What it gives us, if we take it incorrectly, is it gives us an excuse mm -hmm. to go. Those people are are evil, and mm -hmm. they come from a they come from a union that was outside of God's will. The story never says that. Right. The story simply says that God blessed the the girl who was taken advantage of in that moment. Yeah. And promised he promised Abraham that his children would have a lot of descendants and so he went ahead and blessed him because mm -hmm. he was keeping his word mm -hmm. that's a very different take yeah of course yeah yeah and then a reason to just vilify a whole an entire a pe whole people yeah 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 mm. i like how you redeemed uh that phrase wild donkey i'm yeah. thinking if i'm a mom and i'm a slave <laughs> and i'm told that my son is going to be his own master that's already a blessing i right. would hold on to that forever yeah, can you explain a little bit about how you did redeem that? Well, the, we have to remember the value of a donkey in that world. And and a wild donkey would have been a donkey that was living on its own. And and they're powerful animals and they a wild one. You know, think mm -hmm. about wild horses and how hard it is when people try to catch them and do anything with them. And donkeys, were, you know, they would get away and be wild. And that would just mean they're free yeah. to mm -hmm. them and... It it is true that families. This is true uh, way up into the into the post Jesus period in that part of the world. Families would go together and buy a donkey and share it because they were so valuable that most people couldn't afford a donkey and on their own. And if one is, you know, it, you just have to think about it. It's a valuable, powerful mm -hmm. animal, as I said. And and him saying that he was going to be a wild donkey to her meant that he wasn't going to have anybody standing over him and controlling him. And he was going to be valuable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's got... He's got value. And power. And mm. it's it's interesting, too. He becomes an archer. They live in the wilderness. And an ar the, the wilderness just means it's a place that is not able to grow crops. And so the only way you can take care of your family in the wilderness is to hunt. What's he become? He becomes an archer because he's got to take care of his family. And so he becomes a great archer. I mean, he's a, if we had anything legitimate from his mouth or his real actions, because that one thing that we have when he's either mm -hmm. dancing or doing backflips mm -hmm. or <laughs> making fun, that, that thing is so confusing mm. that it doesn't give us any hint about him at all. But the, the whole thing is that he becomes the right kind of man for the right place and he does the right thing. And there's, there's no, he comes home when Abraham dies and he and Isaac together bury their father. There's no emphasis about him being a problem. Mm -hmm. 
And the reason that it shows that he's going to raise his fist and talk back and be all this is because that's what you do when you protect your own mm -hmm. in a dangerous world. And that's what he can do because he's not somebody's slave. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah, that's I cool. think it's really cool, but I've, I, I'll be honest, outside of me and a couple of commentators that nobody reads, <laughs> I don't hear that story often yeah. because it's so easy for us to just make, it's a straw man. Yeah. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. I feel like I would have been an archer. No way. No? No, with your sandals walking downhill. Uh, no. Uh, yeah. I mean, no way. I'm not... Not a, I don't know. I, I, I would, I think I would have wanted to be are you like one. a rugged outdoorsman, Tyler. Really? Is it, are archers? You have to kill <laughs> animals a with a bow and arrow. Well, I think about like Robin Hood. Nope. Nope. Think of something else. <laughs> <laughs> no, my father-in-law, he likes traditional bow hunting. So like wow. making your own bow, not even like, you know, a, power bow or anything like that N nothing like that traditional wow. bow hunting yeah i probably would have been a farmer sit in the or a gatherer dark in uh, the cold what's wrong with gatherers yeah it's just not as cool <laughs> as archer um so you got pretty personal this past weekend about how this being uh, you you kind of talked about and i i don't have the exact clip in front of us but you talked about how you had to get to a specific place to feel comfortable preaching this message of um, God right. seeing us despite our circumstances. Right. And that there's been some crisis in your life and um, just some really hard stuff. Yeah. I would say more that it's circumstances that are, that have been, I'm going to use the word foisted on me. Then I'll honestly say that I don't know that we've brought anything onto us, my wife and I, and we just find ourselves dealing with a lot of things that a lot of plates are spinning where I'm going, what the, mm. you know, yeah. how did, well, not again, not another one. Yeah. And it would, it hit a, a peak. And I mentioned it in the sermon that I was carrying on six simultaneous conversations, texting with people. Mm -hmm about circumstances which were awful. Now, a, cu a couple of them were where I'm dealing with something in people's lives here, but that I'm, was very, I felt I was dealing with dangerous circumstances. And, and I, don't, I don't want to go into detail because yeah, sure. I don't want people to they'll recognize what I'm talking about. Yeah. But, I, but, um, but yeah, it was just like, I was thinking, here I am, I've got the sermon all done except for the personal part. And I'm saying that God is with me and watching over me and he sees you. Yeah, he's all this stuff. And I'm thinking as I'm working on it, as I'm also working with my phone, well, where are you in the West? Why don't you fix this one or not another? You know, and it's like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the other half was that I just, I'm just at a vulnerable age. And so, mm -hmm. you know, if you, if you allow yourself to go there, and I really honestly was not fishing for somebody to write to me and say, oh, Tim, you're just worth so much and all that stuff. I was just really- For thinking, sure. You know, and um, I was just really honestly dealing with it in my own thinking about, because of the stuff that's been going on. I mean, to be perfectly honest, when all of these things with the staff changes and stuff came up, the first thing that I had to do was to evaluate whether now is a time for me to go because I'm- Leave staff. Yes, because I'm at the top of the pile and we had to find a lot of money to cut from staff. And mm. it just, I had to think that through. Mm -hmm. And then I had to 
allow myself to be considered by others as to whether or not I should go. Mm-hmm. And while the staff knew we were doing that with everybody, when it happened to the executive team people, we knew it was happening. Does that make sense? You know, we knew that they were actually talking about us. Yeah. And <clears throat> the elder board, you mean? Well, or who's da- talking about you? Dave with the elders. Oh, yeah. Okay, so Dave... Talk yeah, to the elder Dave, board about Dave, you. Dave is my boss. Sure. Yeah, I work for him, and he's the one who has to decide about that kind of stuff. And it, you just—it's hard. Yeah, it is. It's because it's easy. It's easy for me to see that my place might be a luxury for Grace because mm-hmm. um, because of what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, it just might be a luxury. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say that I feel like I've been affirmed in the process and I feel called and I still Mm -hmm. feel like it's, I'm grateful and thankful and humbled that I'm here. But it, you know, when you start thinking like that, it doesn't go away just all of a sudden. Yeah. It's when you gave this message, all I could think about was the staff situation as well. And I want to hear about, your internal journey of how you got from your circumstances to getting there. Like what, at what point were you like, okay, I'm, I am where I need to be to give this message because I think a lot of times it's easier for me to just be like, well, if God sees me, he's going to bring me out of the circumstance because my circumstance is kind of garbage right now. Right but sometimes that doesn't happen. And so there's still stuff going on in your life, but you preached the message this weekend. And so talk a little bit about the journey you had to take internally to get to this past weekend. Well, the, the truth is all those circumstances are still there. And one is way worse. Um, in the last week, it's way worse. And what I have to, I I preach this all the time and I teach it. And I say that the Bible is God's self revelation first and foremost. And God's point in giving us all of these stories, yeah, there's some interesting things about people and the way, the way they respond to God. And it's just, I mean, we know mm-hmm. that. But in the end, the biggest point is, what does God want me to know about him that mm-hmm. I can take to the bank? Mm-hmm. And in this story, what he wanted us to know about him is that he's watching Hmm. and that he's going to keep his word and he does not play favorites. And I mean, there's all this stuff about him that is absolutely true. And if I'm going to start going, oh, what's wrong that God isn't taking care of me or watching out for me, I have to believe that what this is telling me about God is true. Mm-hmm. And do and am I going to live into it? And so I and I also started thinking if this is true about God the Father as He's revealing Himself in this story, then I should be able to see it in how Jesus talks to us about who mm-hmm. He is. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started remembering all these verses from the from John. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah, maybe one was from Matthew. But yeah, there was one from Matthew. And I just, they just start coming into my head and I'm thinking, okay, yeah, okay, I get it. This is, I'm right about what you're trying to tell me. And 
Jesus is telling me the same thing. Mm-hmm. And if I'm honest, it's been true. Mm. It's been true. Have I had terrible things that have happened? Have we had terrible things that have happened and they didn't end well? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And not everything ends up being wondrous. And and yet, is he present? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, his presence is not necessarily, hey, Hagar in the end, she was tossed out. Now, she got her freedom, but she also lost all of the support that she had that comes from being a servant in the household of the richest guy in the Middle East, practically. Mm. And so she's got to figure this thing out. And she's got a teenage boy, and I'm sure it was difficult, you know. And now she has to do things. When it says that she went and got a husband or a wife for her son from an, an Egyptian woman, women didn't do that. That was the responsibility of fathers. Mm. And so she's a single mother who has to do that. Now, is that a easy thing to do? No, no. But was God with her? Yeah, because it mm. says right there, God was with whom? The boy. Mm. And that means that the, the responsibility is shifting over to Ishmael to take care of her. Now, and all of these things are, they have no homeland. They don't live where they grew up. They, they have to find a way to make it. And God is present. It's, does it, it sounds cool when you read it, but who knows what it was like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, it just resonated with me. And so I, that's why I was a little dramatic when I said, then I'm so here I am standing here preaching this sermon to you. But I wanted it to be a little bit dramatic yeah. because it was a dramatic it's true for me. It's true for you. Because if I'd have not come to that decision on Monday afternoon, and then because at the end of that session that I had to work on it, I had to go to the first meeting for process for the decisions that we had to make mm-hmm. on Tuesday. And I knew I would not have another moment to think about the sermon until sometime on Thursday. Mm. Wow. And, and I needed to be done with, with being able to preach the sermon. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I would have done if I'd have come to the conclusion. I don't believe this. Yeah. You know that when I approach the text, it's what does it say? What does it say to me? And what is the best way for me to tell you what it says to me? That's my process. For every time you speak, Every time I Mm -hmm. preach. And so I I don't tend to tell people what to do. Yeah. Um, I tend to have that because I don't tend to be a prophetic, the prophetic voice. I tend to be the voice who says, this is what it says. You 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 decide what you're going to do. You need to figure out what you need to do with it. It sounds a lot like your question to him, Tyler, of how do you get to the point of saying, okay, I can preach the sermon. You are the God who sees me. It's reminding me a lot of Dave's message last week about belief being an act of the will Mm. that you have to tell, you know, remind yourself of his promises, cling to those promises. You went to the new Testament. You look to see what does Jesus say about seeing me? You know, that was a, that was an act of the will. Right, yeah. It's I, sometimes the, I hate to use the word work, but it's like, we got to put legs to this to this faith thing sometimes. Yeah, we, faith we, is hard work sometimes. Yeah, it really I, is. I think so. There's a scripture in Lamentations, uh, yet I call, I, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. I love that part, call to mind, mm-hmm. you know, um, when you're in the darkness and when you're beneath it all, um, having to reach for those lifelines and stand on those promises and make a decision in the moment 
that act of the will to believe. Right. I think it's important that we have this particular story because the vast majority of the stories that tell us about God's faithfulness to, in the Old Testament happen to the people of God. They ha- it happens communally. Anytime that God narrows down the focus to individuals, that gives me, that resonates with me because I can actually talk about it. That, that yes, God was faithful to the people of Israel and look at these massive things that he did to, for the people of God. But then we have the individual story. And because otherwise we can just begin to think about God only works with like masses of people in mm. big ways. Mm-hmm. And actually his focus is right straight down. He just keeps right mm. down. He goes right down to the the bottom of the barrel, if you will, in the social world. And mm-hmm. he's right there with her. Yeah. He's there with love. Absolutely. Yeah, with love. I, I told you um, over the weekend that you redeemed this passage of scripture for me because it can it can be horribly abused and misused. See, uh, Sarah, I told the husband to send her away and send the kid away and see Abraham listened to her. So he sent the kid away. Like it can be used in a very unloving way. And you're saying, no, this story is all about love. This love is the mm. epicenter of this story, his provision and his love, even for the least of these. Yeah. Right. And that I, I love that that continued that you made that connection with Jesus too, because it is that unchanging nature of God. Right. Even until um, the new Testament as well, that it's that one-on-one, I see you, the quote-unquote bottom-of-the-barrel person, um, and I call you out and love you. Yeah, some people would say that Jesus was saying that to his disciples. But, you know, he was saying it to a small group of people. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that if I'd been there, he'd have been saying it to me too, mm-hmm. and you. And mm-hmm. it's like, I don't, you know, we can get really technical about who is he talking to and what's he talking to. And you know, we have it primarily to know what God's heart is and and. I just, I just think it, I can take comfort in that, mm-hmm. personally. I'll tell you the part that made me upset, though. Uh-oh. Oh, no. <laughs> no, for real. This We're about to get me. your salt. No, this, you, you misused that word. Um, salt? When, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's all good. Okay. We'll, we'll teach you. Um, when you were talking about being older in a world that's younger or slower in a world that's faster— the fact that you have to feel like that at all, that makes me very upset because in some cultures, your wisdom, the, the wisdom that comes with age and comes with experience, you'd be the most highly esteemed person in the pack. You would be held in such honor and in a place of high esteem, and that's where you should be. Clearly, we need what you have to offer us in your teaching and your life's experience. I get upset that I live in a culture where you have to feel that way. Well, I, thanks. I, I mean, we just, <laughs> we just live in a culture that that's what, that's that way. I, I mean, we have to put the blame where it comes from. I think it comes from the entertainment and the sports world. You think? Yeah. I think it altered the culture over time. Sure. Yeah. Cause yeah. once you're too old, you're useless you in that world or something. Yeah. Those worlds. I yeah. Guess. It's, yeah, because it's always the shock of the new, the thing that we're yeah. looking for, and that usually comes out of, yeah, there aren't very many, I know that golf has a, you know, <laughs> right. a master's or an old people's. Seniorly. Seniorly, yeah. yeah, I'm not a golfer, so I don't yeah. know about that. But, you know, uh, that somebody who's 34 in most things is like elderly. Yeah. Mm. And there's always. Man, I'm 34. Elderly. Yeah. We don't celebrate. 
uh, occasionally we celebrate an older person who does something, but they're usually not that old, but we really get excited about the young one. Okay, so that might be true in like sports and stuff like that. Is that true in academia? That can't be true in, you know, well, I think it's a, I think it's a matter of, well, I live in a world, the, the church world is like this in that we know that what we need to be doing is building the next generation in mm-hmm. so that the, because we went to church to continue on and we're at a stage where you, people that are younger than I am, generations beneath me are not staying in the church. We see the value of the church and so we want it to continue on and not just age out because I mean, the, the community is full of churches that are all aged out and and... I don't want to say they're not doing anything, but they, there's not much of a future there. If yeah. not. And so I get that. And it's finding the balance between what we can bring that's helpful and not getting in the way of people who are younger and excited because th- there has to be a balance mm-hmm. there. And sometimes mm-hmm. you just go, I just get worn out. I just get worn out. Hmm. And um, yeah, and it's easy... Especially when we've been thinking about, we've been talking about relevance and, or not relevance, that's not the word. We've been talking openly about whether or not it's time for certain of us, some of us to, to not be here at this stage because of the circumstance we find ourselves in. Mm-hmm. And so it's easy to go, well, you know, you know maybe, I, maybe it is time for me not to be around because I don't really, ha- I don't contribute that much. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to go there. I mean, I've never... I've never walked around going, if you didn't have me here, everything would collapse. That's just not the way that I yeah. face the world. So. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I know what it is. I know what it is. to. I mean, I grew up in a generation that said, do not trust anybody over the age of 30. Really? That's what the, we said when I was, yeah. When I was well, young. yeah. And, and the whole, all of the 60s sort of revolutionary thing, that was all driven by people in their 20s yeah. the oldest. <laughs> and so I already know what it looks like to look at people who are older as being irrelevant. Mm. Mm. I don't know. I just think that like my generation, so I'm 22. Um, and yeah, there is a progressive era. And <laughs> Tim's face when you said you're 22 is pretty funny. <laughs> Lots of blinking. Yeah. Um, oh, just... Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I mean, my point is it would be foolishness for everyone my age to be running this church and not have people like you here. Because obviously I do not have the wisdom and experience and the knowledge and the background that comes with, you know, getting all of these degrees and having all these life experiences. And there can be an assumption that we've been running it for too long or been doing it all along too. I, I understand. I understand that. My heart is that we can find a way to work, make this work. Mm-hmm. I think that my last years here is mostly to to speak into younger people's lives. I, um, I've probably overcommitted now, <laughs> and I would rather be overcommitted than not care. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, if I were to walk, I think that would be, you know, my calling is not really to know stuff or to translate stuff or things like that. My calling is to make sure that other people have the tools to make sense of all of this so that they can lead other people to a faith in Jesus that actually makes sense in the world. And, and if I'm not sharing that, mm-hmm. how I got, what, how to do this, then I, that's the calling that I'm wasting. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah. That, that's, that's why you need to be here. <laughs> uh, really. I mean, 
You, Tim, no did you one, expect a therapy <laughs> session when you came in here today? <laughs> no one's a therapist here. No one can accuse you or anyone else on our leadership team of not caring. Mm-hmm. I yeah, don't for think sure. no one can say that. I, the church that I was a part of in Chicago had to be shut down and revamped because every person in that congregation was over the age of 70 and they were not doing any kind of outreach to the community around them. Suffice it to say, like, that's a group of people who were content to just come, shake hands, and go home, mm-hmm. you know, not trying to do any kind of outreach mm-hmm. uh, or growth or has to be uh, advancing the kingdom or, or anything like that. Right, right, right. No one here is doing that. Yeah. If anything, it's, man, how can we make this uh, more efficient yeah, do and more. reach more people? And mm-hmm. that's the level of care that is here that excites me. Um across all age levels. And that's something that to me is so special um, that our, sorry, I keep pointing at you, that our <laughs> older leaders care as much as our I'm younger the leaders. Old, the <laughs> oldest leader. I, well, I appreciate that. I have, sometime we'll have do another one of these and I'll just talk about all the times in my life when I was either told that I was irrelevant as a young person. Mm. Um, I was actually told that the music that I was interested in was not worthy of God. Oh, weren't we all? <laughs> yeah, but I wasn't a child. I was in my mid-twenties. And, Ugh. Um, and I also remember being really young and seeing guys that were like 27 or 28 in rock bands and thinking, these dinosaurs need to go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, and so like, I, have, I have all this stuff in my head and... Uh, it's all still there. It's all part yeah. of the, the thinking, you know, and I, what I don't want to do is, and I'll be really honest. I don't want to embarrass my wife or my children mm. by, by doing things that are, um, that I'm clearly not supposed to be trying to do. Sure. Uh, and at the other, on the other hand, I don't want to like take the soulfulness out of life simply mm-hmm. because I think I'm too old to have a soul. Yeah. There's a point at which you should stop wearing leather pants. I do agree. But I don't think there's a point at Not which you yet. stop writing music. Not for Tim. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I've never worn leather pants. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. At this, so at this point in your life, this is a little bit tangential, but how do you view the intersection, if you want to say, of calling and destiny? Calling and destiny? How do I view it? Well, it, so from my perspective, it seems like most of your life, you have your calling and it could change or get honed or depending on your life experiences. And then when you're older, you start thinking about your destiny and how does all of these, how do all of these things come together? Right. I think it, it comes together in the legacy that you leave. Mm-hmm. I think that I can see what my destiny is or has been as I see the legacy that I leave through the different spaces of my calling I know that there was a part of my life where my calling was really to be the, the, when I was a landscaper, I had all of these young people that were riding around in trucks with me and working for me. And my calling was to be an older Christian man in their lives so -hmm. that these young people who may or may not have had a relationship with Jesus in any fashion or might be disaffected or trying to figure out their lives, my calling was to be a I'll just be blunt, was to be as much of a, a presence of Jesus in their lives that they would actually consider this to be something worth looking into. Mm. And that was my calling. I don't know that I mentioned this the last time, 
that I was here, but one Christmas, my, my, did I mention that? That my wife, one Christmas invited everybody who'd ever worked for me. No. Wow. Oh my goodness. And we had a house full of all these people. Everybody at your house? Yeah. But yeah. And it was, I had 13 years on my own and you know, I probably, at the end I had 19 employees. And so if you just, in the, in the beginning I only had two. So, you know, you move it through up to, and yeah. so we had all these people. I don't know how many people were there, you know, maybe a hundred or 120, I don't know, through the house. <laughs> oh and and everybody kept saying the same thing to me. They mm. kept saying the summer I worked for you was the best summer of my life. Mm. Or I learned more about faith working for you that year. Or And okay, that was the destiny in my life at that time was part of that calling. Yeah. Mm. And, and when I get to the end of my life, I will look back on that space as part of the destiny. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, mm. I, I can... I think that's but because I ever had anything to run that company well and be really kind to everybody that I ever had anything to do with from client to worker to supplier to whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's the calling, but the destiny was the legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys know Jake Sheeman? Mm-hmm. Yeah. His dad worked for me. His dad worked for me. And Landscaping. Yes. Cool. And I know for a fact that when he came to work for me, he was not a follower of Jesus. Mm. And when he left that summer, he was a follower of Jesus. Now, it's not just me. That's awesome. But he he got to see me and the, uh, another guy that was working for me at the time and be with us. And I think that that's the kind of legacy. His kids are followers of Jesus and yeah. they're changing the world and the worlds they live in. And that would have... I don't know whether that would have ever happened. That's what it's about. Yeah. And so my destiny is to, to be that, that that's where I'll show. And that's why I think my calling now is to speak, continue to speak into young people's lives and to be present and to, to share. I mean, I don't have anything that I don't want to share. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Well, thanks for the message, Tim. Um, to, to end this segment, I want to just play uh, the end of your sermon because I think it was very uh, powerful and uh, meaningful to everyone who heard it. I believe with all of my heart that what Jesus said to us is true. And as I think back over the years of my own life story, with all of its ups and downs and joys and sorrows and surprises and disappointments, my own story tells me that it is true, no matter who you are, no matter what your place in the world may be. whether your circumstances are good or bad. God is present with you. He is watching and caring for you. He sees you. And even though things today may seem difficult and hopeless and you may feel unworthy and marginalized in this moment, God has a special call on your life and his desire is to be with you and to bless you in surprising ways as he leads you into the destiny that he created you to fulfill. That is the truth. Talk about living into your calling. Mm-hmm. That was awesome. Um, let's do one Ask Tim Anything question. We're running out of time, but can we do one? Emily, as a guest host, would you like to pick the Ask Tim Anything question? Oh, man. Okay. Um, this is, uh, these are questions submitted from folks who listen to, listen to the show. These are not our questions, but we appreciate everybody who has submitted a question over, over the weeks and months. And uh, yeah, yeah, go for it. Okay, so this question is from Kimberly. Do you have any suggestions for a good book or website where you can get this kind of context, like the context that you give during sermons, from a personal Bible study without creating a mini library in your house? 
No, wait. Do they want to know like a book that they could have? The new uh, biblical background Bible is really good. If I'm going to get one book, I would get um, the narrative of the New Testament or the New Testament in narrative form, something like that. It's by Ben Witherington the Third. It, it's unimaginably wondrous. It, it just gives you it. What it does is it follows the. It's a historical telling of the period that of Jesus, and it starts pre-Jesus, and then when you get to like. John the Baptist coming, then he tells you about every, like if you hit the Pharisees or you hit the Essenes or you hit the the Qumran community or you hit any of that stuff, he stops and he has an excursus on it and it's like so clear and so easy to read. In fact, right now I'm taking two people through that book because they wanted to have something like that. Now, there's not going to be some of the sociological stuff. It's a historical narrative, but it will really help. It really helps because it puts everything into context. If nothing else, it lets you know that the Jesus story, and you know I don't mean that as a fairy tale, but the story of Jesus is in a complicated and complex world that we sometimes ignore, mm. and then we don't know what they're really talking about. Mm. Hmm. Is there a website you'd recommend? No. I, I honestly, I'll be honest. I Google. Yeah. <laughs> Stop. I don't... No, <laughs> that's yeah. cool. Websites you see more of a book of guy, anyways. I'm a book guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm a book guy. Awesome, awesome conversation. Um, thank you for being here, Marin. Send us out. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with that guy. And we will see you on the other side of Sunday.